from WNYC Studios. I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Tuesday, August 29th. At the Republican debate on Fox last week, they set up the first question, as many of you know, with the hit country song, Rich Men North of Richmond by Oliver Anthony, which expresses the class resentment of a guy working a manual labor job, getting what the song calls bull bleep pay, while the rich men north of Richmond, apparently a reference to Washington, D.C., want to have total control, and your money is taxed to no end toward, as the title suggests, rich men in Washington, D.C., who want to control you. And the song also says this. Which politicians look out for miners? Not just miners on an island somewhere. Lord, we got folks in the street, ain't got nothing to eat, and the whole beast milking welfare. Well, God, if you're five foot three and you're 300 pounds, taxes ought not to pay for your bags of fudge rounds. Young men are putting themselves six feet in the ground, because all this damn country does is keep on kicking them down. So a little resentment of people on welfare, a little fat phobia thrown in there for good measure, and that line that the government should take care of miners, meaning workers like coal miners, rather than what it called miners, children, on an island somewhere. I guess that's a reference to foreign aid to poor countries or to immigration. Some say that even came from a QAnon conspiracy theory. But you get the idea. Now, interestingly, after the debate, Oliver Anthony released a video expressing unhappiness that right-wing media is portraying him as their darling. He said this. The one thing that has bothered me is seeing people wrap politics up into this. Uh, I'm disappointed to see, like, it's aggravating seeing people on conservative news try to identify with me like I'm one of them. It's aggravating seeing certain musicians and politicians act like we're buddies and and act like we're fighting the same struggle here, like that we're trying to present the same message. It was funny seeing my song in the. It was fun. It was funny seeing it at the presidential debate, because it's like I wrote that song about those people. So a couple of clips strung together there from Oliver Anthony's YouTube video. He also said he was defending poor people, not attacking them, and to look at the lyrics from other songs he wrote. Um, I don't know if you heard that Senator Chris Murphy, Democrat from Connecticut, definitely a liberal Democrat, who you might think is one of those elites who would criticize Anthony's song, tweeted this. I think progressives should listen to this, in part because it's just a good tune, but also because it shows the path of realignment. Anthony sings about the soullessness of work, SH wages, and the power of the elites. All problems the left has better solutions to than the right. That from Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy on Twitter or X or whatever we call it now. Washington Post columnist Greg Sargent wrote a piece before the debate called Why the Right Suddenly Loves This Country Singer. Let's see what he thinks now. Greg, thanks for joining. Welcome back to WNYC. Thanks for having me on. The first point in your article was that the actual rich men north of Richmond would like this song because it channels the blame away from them, not toward them. Would you elaborate on that? Sure. You know, he does actually 
tell a good story in some ways about corporate and greed and, and the support for it that exists in Washington, captured government and so forth. But the second half of the song really does direct blame away from the rich men north of Richmond. It tells a story that's very much what the rich men north of Richmond have told for decades now in order to take blame away from themselves, which is that working class struggles can be primarily blamed on high taxes, welfare cheats, and uh, elite wokeness, which I think is alluded to in the song. And you write that business lobbyists and right-wing politicians have told versions of this distorted story for decades. So take us into some of that history that would way predate the current culture war polarization of the Trump era. Well, it just goes back decades where the you know the Chamber of Commerce types, the, 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 the big big business lobbyists and big corporate lobbyists have perpetually told a story in which uh, high taxes and too much government regulation and, and too many government handouts are the real things slowing down the economy and making life wor- worse for working people. Um, and that story obviously is very self-serving uh, for them. And so to hear that coming from this singer, who it's a good tune, don't get me wrong. And and it's great that he tried to capture working class angst that way. But he also, I think, perpetuated the story that the rich men north of Richmond really have liked to tell for their own benefit for a long time. You give an example of who lined up where when the Obama administration tried to expand which workers qualify for overtime pay. That's actually not a very well-known policy debate. What happened there? Well, so Obama tried to raise the threshold for uh, qualification for overtime pay with a, with a rule, a federal rule, and that would have meant higher overtime for millions and millions of people like Oliver Anthony. And the rich men north of Richmond, a.k.a. the big business groups and some small business groups, too, in fairness, opposed that move. And at least 40 Republican senators lined up with them to oppose it. Uh, And it was essentially stopped in court because of that. So we can essentially look at that and say, okay, some rich men north of Richmond did, in fact, try to keep overtime pay down for people like Oliver Anthony but a fair amount of elites tried to raise it. And I think that that is something that his listeners might want to know. And you're right that Biden may take another crack at that issue this fall. What's on the agenda? Well, it's possible that Biden, the the Labor Department, will roll out a new rule of some kind that tries to raise the overtime threshold to something akin to where Obama tried to do it. Uh, Now, let me say in fairness that Trump did president trump did raise the overtime rule but it was only by uh sorry he did raise the overtime threshold when he was president but it was only by a marginal amount and an amount that business groups could accept now if biden goes through with what i expect him to then we'll again have a big policy debate over whether the federal government should step in and make life better for millions and millions of people like oliver anthony and i guarantee you that all the Republican politicians who are extolling that song right now will line up against that rule. And Greg, on the anti-tax sentiment in the song, which he seems to blame on undeserving poor people as opposed to deserving ones, you fact-check that connection, too, in your column. How so? Yeah, and I'd I'd like to address what you you mentioned before, which is that, in fairness to Oliver Anthony, I I don't know if that's his real name, by the way, but we could call him that. 
in fairness to him, he uh, did try to clarify in that YouTube video that you uh, played just a few minutes ago, and he said he wasn't attacking poor people. And, and that's fine, but the song really does divide poor people into the, quote, deserving and, quote, undeserving poor. He, it's very explicit on that point, right? He says that there are people who are starving in the streets, by which he seems to mean deserving poor, and then the welfare bilkers who are 300 pounds, by which he seems to mean undeserving poor. And that that's a, that is an option that I think the Richmond, north of Richmond, really like to hear a lot of because it tends to create suspicion among people about whether government programs for, for the less fortunate are actually trustworthy. And should we be sending our tax dollars to, to, to this type of thing? And, and I think that it would be great if he would clarify a little further that he really, I'd love to hear him talk a little more about what he actually meant when he talked about the 300 pound uh, welfare cheats. Yeah, and I don't think you framed that in racial terms in your column. And Oliver Anthony didn't say in the song that the 300-pound welfare cheat eating fudge rounds, he, he didn't even say cheat, just welfare recipient eating fudge rounds on our tax dollars is black. So maybe it's unfair to ascribe that implication to the song. But we know how Ronald Reagan used welfare queen imagery, as it was called at the time. We know that Richmond was the capital of the Confederacy, and somehow I don't think it will be received by the country music audience as being about poor white people in Appalachia or something like that. Or is that unfair? Uh, well, I don't really know how it would be received, but I definitely agree with you that it would be unfair to ascribe to him uh, a racial message there, 100%. I, I don't, I'm not sure why people concluded that. It wasn't clear to me at all. And, and yet this is a big historical through line in American politics for sure, that yeah. I've been thinking about, that race trumps class in forming political coalitions of workers in this country. I actually want to replay a couple of clips that we used yesterday on the occasion of the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington, which, as you know, is remembered mostly for Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. But March director A. Philip Randolph uh, was also a labor leader. And here's what he said in his speech at the March on Washington 60 years ago yesterday. Look for the enemies of Medicare, of higher minimum wages, of Social Security, of federal aid to education. And there you will find the enemy of the Negro, the coalition of dictocrats and reactionary Republicans that seek to dominate the Congress. And he also said this. It falls to us to demand new forms of social planning, to create full employment, and to put automation at the service of human needs, not at the service of profits. Now, Greg, we played those yesterday as examples of how we're still talking about the same issues 60 years later, by and large. And he could have framed it, too, as the rich men north of Richmond in 1963, referring to the business lobby and the Republicans who support them. He used just slightly different words. But I think the same grievances are heard very differently by, let's say, Donald Trump supporters than by supporters of Martin Luther King's Poor People's Campaign or supporters of Bernie Sanders. I guess my question is, do you think a multiracial poor and working class coalition is possible in this country where their economic interests coincide. 
Well, I think we have something like that uh, in the Democratic coalition right now. Um, a, a very large percentage of of Biden supporters in, in the 2020 election, or, or at least a majority of them, according to Pew, were non-college educated people. And so there you have a very large number of you know, millions and millions and millions of, of non-college, non-whites uh, joining with maybe a pretty small minority of non-college whites who don't support Trump to to create something like a coalition of, of the type you're talking about. But obviously we we need it to be much bigger and, and more durable than it is. One point about what you said before about how, how differently people in Appalachia might perceive this stuff. One thing that is interesting to me about the phrase rich men north of Richmond is that it seems to exempt southern elites, right? Um, remember his his song, he's talking about his experience working in a factory in western North Carolina, I believe where it was. So where does the uh, local oligarch who either owns or runs that factory and was as paying him what he called BS wages uh, fit into the song, right? And and one other point on, on your on your point about how this really ends up dividing the the working class coalition that we need, that's what the deserving versus undeserving poor dichotomy actually does, right? It, it essentially tells working people that their real problem isn't just elites and elite capture of government, but also the welfare cheats below. And so I think that works against the, his, his song's message works against the very type of coalition that you're talking about there. Yeah. Did anything Anthony say in his video after the debate make you think differently about what he's really getting at? Because I find myself confused now. Uh, it seemed to be the right wing dog whistle that a lot of people heard it as, you know, um, and yet he denied that and said he was talking about the Republicans on the debate stage as much as the Democrats, not just Biden. So, and, and he said that other lyrics to others of his songs, which I haven't seen, um, um, show his support for poor people. He's not just, you know, vilifying people who receive welfare benefits. So do you, do you get, not that it really matters what this one singer's politics are, uh, but do you get what they are in, in maybe a more complex way than people interpreted him at first? Yeah, I think we should give him credit for the clarifications that he issued later. I, I take it seriously if he says that he wasn't trying to demonize any poor people. I do think it would be worthwhile if he would explain what he meant by the 300-pound people bilking welfare. But my strong suspicion is that he just sort of operates in a milieu where that kind of uh, talk is pretty prevalent. And so it just was really more of an expression of frustration than anything else, and, and understandably so, right? Um, things are really screwed up. But nobody's denying that. But um, it would help. I think it would be, be helpful if he would actually take his kind of newfound fame and start asking his new question, some his new friends on the right, some harder questions about why they pursue policies that support the rich men north of Richmond so so vigorously. On the five foot three reference in that line, if you're five foot three and you're three hundred pounds, taxes ought not to pay uh, for your bags of fudge rounds. You know, I mentioned the 
fat phobia implied there. We have a listener who texts that there's misogyny there too because by referring to five foot three, that's an apparent woman's height. Have you heard that before? I hadn't heard that one. I, this sort of criticism I, I, I want to leave to others. I, I just really want to focus on the story he's telling about what happened to the working classes of this country. And another listener texts, it seems the apparent construction of Oliver Anthony's lyrics and his statement about the song's use aligns not with traditional or liberal, uh, not with traditional conservative or liberal views, but rather reflects the old drain the swamp Trumpism. And I find that text really interesting because I thought at the beginning of the Trump campaign in 2016 that he was in part, besides, you know, all the racist stuff about Mexicans and Muslims and everything, that he was going for a certain economic populism. And I thought when he got into office, he dropped it and did align uh, with the rich men north of Richmond in, in the business lobbies. Um, but, but there is this idea that there is a drain-the-swamp populism that transcends traditional conservative or liberal lines that the, that the writer is referring to. I'm not sure that it exists. What do you think? Well, I think there, in many ways, the song, if you just read the lyrics themselves and put aside his clarifications, it's pretty textbook right-wing populism, isn't it? In the sense that it, it sort of configures the enemies as being both above and below. That's really a very standard right-wing populist trope. And, and note, there's some, there's some very vague stuff in the song which seems to suggest he's talking about elite wokeness, right? Where he says that the, the rich men north of Richmond want to know everything you, you do and think. That struck me as a reference to elite, uh, elite um, woke, I don't know, meddling in, in people's lives. I, I'm not sure what he was referring to, but if that's, if that's what he was referring to, then this is very standard right-wing populism. Your main yeah. problems are the welfare cheats below and the cultural elites above and maybe the economic elites, but we're kind of talking about the cultural ones more. So what do you think, as we wrap up, it's fair to expect from him? Or what do you think he might be going through now as somebody who is totally unknown like a month ago and now has this breakout hit that everybody's talking about in these political terms? I think we can say he's at least started perhaps a useful national conversation uh, by the way that it's transcending political lines. I, I, I don't know if you agree, but but what what do you think he might be going through right now in his own mind as the next steps for him? Oh, well, I, I do agree with you, really. It, it is a useful con conversation. I just wish that we were allowed to critique the song without being told we're, we're disrespecting him or whatever. I mean, you know, he put out a, a, a text, right? And it and it's, it's, should be subject to people's thoughts and, and reactions. I, from from his perspective, I mean, he, like I said, he seems like a really kind of resilient and and in, in in his own way a very sharp guy, right? I mean, he he seems to know what he's doing. I think if you watch the two long videos where he talks about his life, um, he seemed to expect that the song would explode out the way it did. I don't know why he expected that, but he seemed to, and. He seems to actually be handling it pretty well. His criticism of Republicans was 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 pretty interesting. I, I'd really love to hear more from him 
about that. Um, because like I say, th there's a real opportunity for him to use his stature to kind of sharpen that criticism of what's happened to the working classes uh, with regard to, and with, from, with, from the perspective of the role that, that these rich men north of Richmond, the Republicans, he's lambasting played in that. Yeah, maybe he thought it was going to break out because he thought he was going to ride the coattails of that right-wing Jason Aldean country song about, uh, I forget the exact title, Don't Try That in My Community, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, my small town, right. I, I suppose that's, it is, there's, a, there's certainly some similarities there for sure. And we leave it there for now with Greg Sargent, Washington Post columnist. Greg, thanks a lot. Thanks very much. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time. <music>